the basic idea it's in its third year um, is just celebrating the people behind the scenes as much as the wrestlers themselves. Just, you know, I, I really appreciate what you're doing uh, with your own brand. And, you know, in a way you're, you're not only helping some of the talent get a better platform to, you know, tell their story, but I also feel like, you know, maybe inspiring some future journalists or interviewers. So, you know, I feel oh, like, wow. Well, thank you. That's very kind. Uh, you know, one of the things I, I like about your series or brand, however you want to put it, uh, it's not really an interview. It's you, you have conversations with people and it's very apparent that uh, I'll even criticize myself here, but uh, I noticed myself. I'm like, ah, in hindsight, like uh, it's question answer or like, you know, trying to get towards a point. Uh, but your, your flow is very natural where, you know, it, I feel like, you know, do you have people telling you like, oh, I'm, I'm really comfortable in that format because it doesn't feel like I'm being grilled for answers or I'm, I don't have to plug, <laughs> I don't have to plug the show I'm on, like anything like that. Yeah. And I think for me, it's just that I just, I don't love the idea of an interview, right? I think that in our normal life, when, when are we ever having an actual like quote unquote interview? It's when you're having a job interview or God forbid, like the police are asking you questions. Like, I feel like in your everyday life, that's really it, right? Yeah. What we have all the time are conversations. So if you and I bumped into each other at a wrestling show or you and I bumped into each other at, you know, the mall, I wouldn't be like, all right, so I'm going to say this and then Bill's going to say this. And when Bill's saying that, I'm going to then say this next. You wouldn't do that, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that somehow that gets lost when we're having a formal quote unquote interview. Yeah. Yeah, it, it absolutely does. And, you know, I mentioned, like, I'll criticize myself, like, uh, I'll, I'll use yourself and Sean Mooney, all credit for like two of the people who really kind of taught me how to get away from that format, like how, like, I still take notes, I still research, but like, mm -hmm. depending on it, like, just listen to what the person's saying, like, feed off of what they're saying, respond to that, don't worry about getting toward getting to your next question because the person you're speaking to can sense that. And I I've noticed this year more than ever, like you start to have the wrestlers specifically say like, I don't want to do this interview because here, I know what's coming or, you know, it's formulaic and, you know, just trying to, I guess, have a, have, have more of a, a conversation and, you know, keep it more casual is actually more engaging than anything, any of the other work that you can put into it in a way. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of podcasts popped up, not just in the wrestling space, a lot of podcasts in general popped up kind of as a result of us all being cooped at home almost two years ago. And, you know, I always say this, the best thing about podcasting is anyone can do it. There's no barriers. You can just hit record on your phone and go. The worst thing about podcasting is also that anyone can do it. And the fact that like, you could be the absolute best podcaster, or the absolute worst podcaster, you are still lumped in as a podcaster. And I think it's important when you are starting a, a podcast or an interview show or YouTube channel or whatever, just ask yourself why you're doing it. If you're doing it because you might have the chance to talk to a wrestler one day or someone that you looked up to, that's okay. But be honest with yourself that that's why you're doing it. And I think that that's why you kind of hear that pushback from a lot of performers that are like, I'm not going to do podcast interviews anymore because I just keep getting asked the same questions all the time. So 
I think it's important to know, like for me, I just kind of go, all right, these are the 10 or 12 topics that I think would be interesting to talk to this person about. But just because I wrote down the first thing first, doesn't mean that's the first thing that we have to talk about. Mm -hmm. And I did learn something really important in radio. So I've been so fortunate to be able to work in broadcasting since 2005. And I remember when I had my first radio job, I was given this amazing advice from my friend who was very successful, is very successful in radio. And he said, make sure you know how you're going to get into it and out of it. And he's referring to like a a radio segment, like how are you going to start this segment? And also how are you going to end this segment? The rest you'll kind of figure out. And I've kind of taken that same approach to interviewing. Like what's the first question I can ask that'll get the ball rolling or what's the, the icebreaker that we can kind of like get the chat going with. And then we'll just kind of figure it out from there. Yeah. Uh, One good example of that. I actually just started watching your killer cross interview (laughs) <laughs> why'd you cut why'd you grow your hair out like right you got to right? talk about the obvious right yeah and i'll never forget my very first wrestling interview was with bobby lashley 2007 he was the ecw champion at the time and i was working in vancouver i was on a show called 969 on mtv2 canada and i was like oh my god i'm interviewing a wrestler i'm getting paid to talk to a wrestler this is crazy so i asked him like you know, some some general questions that the mtv2 audience would appreciate and understand then i asked like the odd question about like you know as a wrestling fan like Mm -hmm. that i wanted to know the answer to the interview aired and my boss calls me aside and goes why didn't you ask him about the belt i (laughs) I went what do you mean she goes he had a belt on his shoulder a big shiny metal belt on his shoulder for the four minutes that he was on tv and we didn't talk about it and she's like you have to ask the obvious question i went oh and I've never forgot that. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I, I think what you said about starting and ending, like, you know, get to that, but you obviously have to promote what they're there for, but doing it in an engaging way and mixing it up so that, you know, that's not maybe the lead question and may, just, you know, feeling out how to get there and make it seem natural and fun for both sides is really something difficult to master. Um, You know, and I'll mention one of the other things that I liked about that episode, the killer cross episode. Um, He's talking about like his journey to WWE. And obviously that people still have questions about how he got there, what went wrong, whatever. But uh, when he brings up the part about the luchador mask, I was like that, you know, like that's my hook. I love the, you know, day-to-day like minutia, any kind of stuff like that. Yeah. Like, especially after you've been doing it so long, like you, you look for stuff that's interesting for yourself personally. Yeah. I think social media kind of helps with that aspect too. You can kind of follow along and, you know, people complain about the lack of kayfabe, but I actually think, you know, it enhances it for, you know, a journalist or media people right now. Yeah. And I think that when you talk about someone like Karrion Cross, Killer Cross, whatever we want to call him, people want to know who Kevin is because Kevin's a pretty interesting guy as well. And for better or for worse, I think that social media is great feedback. It provides a great amount of feedback. And I learned really early on when I started posting celebrity interviews on my YouTube channel, like 10 years ago, that people didn't care so much about what the question and the answer was. They cared a lot about like 
the minutia that you're talking about, like the, the in-between things, like when I first started posting interviews on my YouTube channel, Twilight movies were really big. The Hunger Game movies were really big. And people were like obsessed with Robert Pattinson. So when he would, and Kristen Stewart and you know Jennifer Lawrence and everyone else in those films, the comments would always be about like, oh, did you see when he rolled his eyes at the three minute, minute and four second mark? And I'm like, I didn't even notice that when it was happening, but I was starting to realize that people wanted to feel like they were connected to that human who was on the other side of the screen. So anything you can do to kind of like, just connect with someone, like I'm trying to think of like, oh, I sat down with someone for an interview on like St. Patrick's day and they happened to be from Ireland. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what, like, we know what it's like here in America, but like, what's it like for you? Like, what kind of beer do you drink? And like, just those little things that I think people go, oh, they are a real person. Yeah. So are you looking forward to the Batman? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Talk about Robert Pattinson. That uh that fits right in even today. I'm very interested, right? Because I think that a lot of people initially just wrote him off like, oh my God, Robert Pat Pattinson can't be Batman in the same way that we wrote off Heath Ledger. Like, oh, he can't be nope. Joker. And then he blew us all away. So I think it's kind of unfair now for Robert Pattinson that the bar has been raised so high. Like we didn't think Heath Ledger could do it. And then he went on and won an Oscar for it. So what are you going to do here? Yeah. Also, I find it really interesting that he's not getting like super jacked for the role because mm -hmm. the last, I mean, Ben Affleck got massive, Christian Bale, phenomenal shape. And look, he's Robert Pattinson's going to be a good shape, but I think we were expecting him to look like a bodybuilder. Yeah. I think, uh, I, I think people want to like, still put him in that twilight box even though he's done a bunch of stuff since then and it's yeah. not uh not his character I, I mean batman's a character like he can't really get away with that but it, it's not like sparkling vampire it's not pigeonholing him it's i i think it's really going to be exciting i uh, look i think when we saw i'm a huge christopher nolan fan and when we all saw tenant i think we saw robert pattinson and we went oh okay he'll be fine as bruce wayne and batman yeah. Plus, uh, I, I think people might be surprised by Paul Dano, too. Oh, <laughs> that every time I've seen that guy in anything, I'm just like, he's just a, like, like he plays creepy really well. Yeah. Like he the first time I saw him was in The Girl Next Door. He was Clitz. Yep. Then he was in Prisoners. There will be blood. He's been in like st other stuff over the years. And it's like, yeah, he's I don't think he's going to have to try very hard to, you know, play a Zodiac like Riddler very much in, in prisoners. <laughs> he just makes your skin crawl mm -hmm. like that scene. And I'm not giving anything away people, but you definitely do need to see prisoners because Hugh Jackman's performance. And that's unbelievable. The scene where he's walking the dog, that's all I'll say. It just makes you like so angry. And so also sympathetic. It's like, Oh, there's, there's a lot to that. Like three second little sequence there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, while we're talking about it, go ahead and watch Prisoners if you've never seen it. I love it. There's so much, uh, just when it all kind of clicks, like, I'm just like, it still. Like, and then it just ends. Right? <laughs> yeah. You, you put all the pieces together and bam, it ends. And you're like, but what? Uh. If that, it, that ends on a, on a weird note, but it's like a hopeful weird note. So I'll say that. I don't know. Because you, you hear the whistle. 
Yes, we so, hear the whistle. Yeah, but does everybody so, else hear the whistle? Well, I'm thinking that we do. I think so. I think that's, you're right. It's hopeful. So there's my optimism. If, if nobody else hears it, but I, I like how open-ended it is. I do like that it ends with, you know, kind of a head to, like, oh, did I? Did I hear that? And then fade to black. Man. Yeah, and it's not like a mid-credit scene or anything. It's no. part of it. It's <laughs> so four-time Emmy Award winner. Uh, some people might not know about that. You you have them on display behind oh, you. Sorry, here we go. Get the fourth one in there. <laughs> let's let's cut them all out. There we go. There we That's go. much better. But uh, you're you're not just a wrestler. Uh, wrestling interview like people might only have just started learning about you from wrestling or uh your channel um but you know chris long super bowl champion carrot top jay cutler the power lifter not the football player uh believe it or not there's two jay cutlers uh did you ever like obviously said your your first interview was with bobby lashley in 2007 but like did you set out to be like, Oh, I want to cover wrestling or was it, I'm going to be an entertainment reporter or like, how did you see yourself starting out in this? And how did, how did that uh, goal change over the years? It just kind of happened by accident. If I'm being honest, Bill, like I was interviewing people in the entertainment space. Cause I was working as an entertainment reporter and a TV host. So you're interviewing actors and directors and comedians and musicians and then every once in a while, WWE or Impact Wrestling would come to town and they'd be wanting to promote it. So I had the chance to talk to some of my childhood idols at the TV station. It was just like super exciting. So some of my early interviews, I mentioned Bobby Lashley, but there was also Ted DiBiase. There was Mick Foley and Kurt Angle and Jeff Hardy. So once or twice a year, we would do those interviews and I would do them at the TV stations that I was working at, which was in Toronto, Vancouver, Cleveland, and Miami. And I was just kind of realizing that with the way that broadcasting works, unless you're watching, you know, channel 19 at 4.17 PM, that particular Thursday, you didn't see the interview. So I was asking questions that I thought were genuinely interesting, not just of the wrestlers, but of a lot of these people that I was interviewing. So I was just taking the raw uncut version, putting them on a YouTube channel, just kind of as like a digital library of like, it lives here. And if other fans find this interesting, they can also like take a look at this. That was it. And then I did an interview with The Miz 2011. It was right when CM Punk had done the pipe bomb. And Miz kind of just off camera said it without even thinking about it. He said, oh yeah, I was, I said, oh, I was at WrestleMania 27. He's like, oh man, I was concussed. I don't even remember the end of that match. And I was like, oh, that's crazy. And then we just continued the conversation. I put the interview up. That was apparently news. And I didn't realize that. And a whole bunch of people were quoting that interview and linking to it. And I woke up the next day and it had like 6,000 views. And then the day after I had like 36,000 views. And I was like, oh, wow, like other wrestling fans are as interested in this as I am. So then, you know, I started going out of my way a little bit. If there was a big name at the local independent wrestling show where I was living, I would reach out and say, hey, would you mind if I talk to Buff Bagwell, Christopher Daniels? And they said, yeah, for sure. Like promote our show and then you can do whatever you want with the video. So I don't really think I cover wrestling. I like to think that I just talk to interesting people and... I try to just get to the core of what their story is. 
And I think that too often we see the finished product. Too often we see Tom Brady with seven Super Bowl rings or The Rock with, you know, his millions and millions of dollars, millions and millions of dollars. And I don't think that we see the path to get there. And what I want to do during these conversations is kind of go, all right, when you were at step one or step two, what did you do? Or when you were met with this roadblock, how did you deal with it? And I think it's interesting and important to get to the core of someone's story so that normal people like me and you, Bill, can go, oh, if they can do it, then I can too. I just want to point out how almost pitch perfect and great timing that millions and millions was. Completely unplanned. <laughs> like you were just like millions. <laughs> <laughs> This comes from a, you know, a lifetime of imitating The Rock. I was such a big wrestling fan in high school that I would ask people questions and then I would shout, it doesn't matter what you think because I was such a big wrestling fan. You're also, I mean, over the years, you've gotten to know him a little bit. So little, very, very little bit. I mean, it's, it's cool now when I walk into a room that I'm not a complete stranger to him. Mm -hmm. And I think also he might kind of roll his eyes like, oh, here comes Chris. He's going <laughs> to ask me at least one wrestling question. <laughs> Treats you a little better than uh, MJF. Though. I don't know. Oh, geez. MJF's <laughs> the worst. Please. He's the worst. I saw uh, before we signed on here, he said something nice about one of the uh, Creative Pro students. And I was kind of surprised by that. So, oh, I. He, he complimented somebody. Geez, is this a face turn? <laughs> I don't know. He's probably going to delete it. He should. <laughs> Some, I think his, his phone got hacked. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, so you're talking about you get a chance to talk to a bunch of people, walks of all life. Um, I, not you don't have to give me anybody specific, but do you find yourself enjoying somebody's story more than the other? Whether it's like somebody you watched when you grew up, or somebody you are watching right now. Anything you know. You, you really gravitate towards more than the other. I love the stories where you're pleasantly surprised. Like you're like, oh, this is going to be a fine conversation. And then you're like halfway through and you're like, this person is the greatest storyteller ever. Or like, I, I'm, I'm learning so much that I never thought I was, I would learn. So yeah, I think there's those moments. Then they're not specific to someone who's a wrestler or male or female or a comedian or not just, I like people that are engaged in the conversation. And I think that fortunately or unfortunately, however you want to look at it, the bigger you become as a star, the more interviews you have, the more like attention is, your attention is going all these different ways. You're being pulled a lot of different directions. So I can understand someone who does a lot of interviews that maybe doesn't want to like turn it on or show up or, or you know, really have fun with the interview. Mm -hmm. But it's very interesting that the people who are like the top, like The Rock or Hugh Jackman or Will Smith or Jada Pinkett Smith, they show up. And it's amazing seeing like, I might be your 46th interview of the day, but you're still treating it like this is the first one. I love it. Right. Yeah. It's great. Like on this side of it too, when you have that moment, you're like, all right, here's my interview. I just want it to go well. I want to you know, ask all my questions, have them be interested. But then when you like have that little moment where you're like, all right, this is going to be like fun. Like, you know, it, yeah. it's that much more rewarding. Yeah. Nothing's better than when they're actually answering the questions that you're asking or actually following the flow of the conversation that you're having. 
the worst thing is when you're doing like a celebrity junket interview where you've got four or five minutes and that person is doing 50 interviews in a day. And whatever question that you ask them, they are going to say the same thing no matter what. And mm. like nothing's more frustrating than thinking you got a good soundbite and then talking to your friends who just interviewed that same person and they go, oh, no way. He told me the same story. And you're like, huh, I didn't even ask the same question as you. Yeah. Right. Like, did you, did you tell it the same way? Like, <laughs> yeah, did, like word for word. Yeah. This part. Yep. Pretty. And it's funny too. And I think it's maybe a condition of not to get too specific, but like WWE talent, like they do it so much that they don't even realize they're doing it. Some of the time, it's just part of the game. So, you know, when you, I'll say one specific example, um, when I interviewed Melina, like I, she was like the nicest person oh, in the world the best. and it was years of playing a heel and the M&M stuff. And like, she, I mean, she was like the nicest person in the world. And I've had people like after the fact, just other people, but you know, they were like, Oh yeah. You know, they reached out and was like, Oh, thanks for a great interview. And I'm like, like that, like that made my day. Like that's the goal. Like good interview. Yeah. Like, thank you for doing that. So, yeah. And look, I understand that a lot of WWE superstars, they're doing a lot of interviews with people who maybe aren't wrestling fans. So I get it. They have to like, water it down, like dumb it down for someone who doesn't watch the product to understand what they're talking about. It's almost like explaining, like, like translating another language in a way. So I think that when I started doing wrestling interviews early on, yeah, I'm an entertainment reporter working at a TV station. I might've interviewed Brad Pitt yesterday and I might be interviewing, I don't know, Angelina Jolie tomorrow. I don't know. And then there's a wrestler interview kind of in between there. But they walk in the door and I go, oh man, I was just at WrestleMania. Like it was amazing, your match with so-and-so. And they're like, oh, I, he gets it. Yeah. And I think that that <laughs> early on, I think that that really helped was like, oh my gosh, I, I can speak in specifics with you rather than in generalities. You had 136 interviews this year. Uh, impressive. Like, do you have like, anything you want to promote coming up, like any upcoming guests or like, how do you top yourself? Like that, that yeah, number is insane. I, I always say vague goals get vague results, but I didn't have a goal to get a certain amount of episodes this year. I just got into a rhythm where we were doing two and usually three episodes a week. I just really want to grow the podcast. I think a lot of people know that I have a YouTube channel and that's awesome. And I'm a lifelong wrestling fan and always will be. But I also think it's interesting when I get a tweet from someone who's like, dude, your interview with Chris Kirkpatrick from NSYNC was fascinating. Or that interview you did with Chris Voss, the FBI negotiator, like I learned so much from that. That really gets me jacked up. So I would say that if you're watching this right now and you've only ever seen one or two of my wrestling interviews, first of all, thank you, that's amazing. I would challenge you to go back into the back catalog and see if there's someone else in there or a name or a story that might be interesting to you. And I'd say, just go back and give it a listen. And I would be surprised if you didn't learn something from that guest. We covered quite a bit at the top of this. I, I mentioned how I feel like I've learned from you. Any other advice you would have for aspiring broadcasters, journalists, anybody that kind of wants to follow and get involved in whether it's entertainment, journalism, or just wrestling journalism in general 
by the way, off the top of this, it's Outbreak Wrestling. I was a guest ring announcer for them. And also Legends of Hamburg was the, and this is, just all came to me. This was like, that was the convention that I worked at. Okay. But <laughs> I would say, figure out what you want to do and then find somebody who's doing the thing that you want to do and figure out what their path was to get there. Your path isn't going to be exactly the same as theirs, but perhaps they went to a school or studied something that could help you, or maybe they wrote for their school newspaper, or maybe they interned at a radio station. I think like figure out where you want to be and then reverse engineer the path to get there. Also, like, don't be afraid to pay your dues, to work hard, work for free. Like, I'm sure that if someone wanted to write for WrestleZone and they were pretty good at it, writing for free might turn into a job one day. So I'd say, like, pay your dues, put in your work, and, like, don't be afraid that, like, just because you started last week or last month and you're not getting paid yet, that's okay. I was an intern that drove... 60 miles each way while working my high school job in the fish department of a pet store to pay for the gas to drive to my job. And that internship ended up turning into a job one day. So I think it's important to like pay your dues and figure this out. Yeah. I, I remember my first event was, I think it was when impact debuted on spike. Okay. And- so, I mean, it's, it's been a while and it was kind of yeah. the same thing. It was like, okay, here's where I started and now I'm doing this and I've been here this long and it's rewarding for many different reasons, but yeah. you know, sometimes, like you said, you got to see where you want to be and work backwards and try to get there. So, and I would say specifically in wrestling, not everything is bad. And I think that unfortunately, a lot of people are painting with a very broad brush of if I don't like it, it must suck. And I don't think that that's necessarily the case. There's good in every single show, whether you want to see it or not. And I think that that positivity could go a long way in this industry that unfortunately has a lot of negativity. Yeah, I think people need to learn the difference between criticism and having it be just ripping on something and constructive criticism. Yeah. And I don't think that everybody fully appreciates what WWE, AEW, Impact Wrestling are doing each and every week. They are writing, like, let's take Raw, for example, writing a three hour live television program where they have to like hit breaks, like, you know, to the second. And like, it's, From a production standpoint, it is incredibly impressive what all these companies pull off. And I just think that people just look at like, yeah, well, I don't want to see this match for the 17th time. And like, yeah, no, I I can understand that. But like, there's Vince McMahon is the reason that you and I are talking right now. And Vince McMahon's the reason that we love wrestling or hate it, you know, however you feel about it. But it's the reason that we're passionate about wrestling. I think that he, I think he knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. Uh yeah, I, I mean, his, his resume would, you know, support that. Um, I would probably say not just find something you do like about it, because obviously you kind of alluded to it, like 52 weeks a, week, a year, it's really hard to have a home run every every week. But, you know, maybe be vocal about the one thing that you did like that week instead of just 
this sucks being generic like yeah people respond to not just positivity but you know constructive criticism being fair not just first name a bunch of numbers on twitter saying yeah this sucks i don't want to see him anymore (laughs) so yeah i just think that there's there's a lot of positivity that's missing and that's why i i try my best during the conversations that i have with wrestlers where i just want to focus on like maybe this thing didn't work out for you or maybe you weren't booked in the best possible way here but like look where you're at now as a result of it like or or how did you learn from that i think that that's an important thing to take away yeah I, i couldn't have put it better myself uh especially after the past I don't know. What is it now? 20 months? Has it been two years yet? <laughs> Coming up real close. Yeah, I, real soon. People, I, I think people need to focus or change their perspective on how things are presented, how they take things, how they respond to things. And I think you're starting to, to see that from people. I, I just really appreciate what you're doing. Uh, like I said, you know, you, you had so much content this year, looking forward to 2022. Um, any, anything you do have coming up that you're excited about that you want to talk about, or should we just stay tuned? I mean, just every day. That's really what I'm most excited about. I'm spending a lot of time at our podcast studio in Las Vegas, the Blue Wire Studios at the Wynn Las Vegas. Beautiful studio, some, by the way. Oh, it's an unbelievable. I walk in there every day and I'm like, I get to record here. This mm-hmm. is great. So I'd say keep an eye out for more interviews from there and just more. I just want more every single day. So I'm excited for what 2022 has to offer and then beyond. 